Hippie Parade, another one. So there's a fourth one for you, Natalie and team. That was awesome. Thank you so much for organizing that. And Janice, congratulations. I'm sure we're going we're gonna to hear all about it this week <clears throat> at Mission Group. So. Right, the Apostle John tells us an interesting story um, about Jesus towards the end of his, of his career, towards the end of his life. At that stage, Jesus knew that he was going to pass away, that, he, you know, that the violent death was waiting for him. And on this occasion, John tells us that Jesus did something quite remarkable, something quite unheard of in that culture. And even in today's culture, it will be unheard of. But Jesus did this. He, he, he knelt down, he, he bent his knees, and he, he washed his disciples' feet. Now, this was something strange, and it's, it was strange then, and it's strange today. But this is such an iconic moment in the career of Jesus that it, it sums up, it symbolizes everything that he was about and everything that his kingdom stands for, what his kingdom was about. As a matter of fact, at one stage, John, uh, uh, Peter, Simon Peter, wants to stop Jesus and says, Jesus, there is absolutely no way. You are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. You are not touching my feet. But Jesus tells him, Simon, unless I wash your feet, you can, cannot have any part of me. That statement, that comment is what Jesus was saying. He was implying that this is what I'm about, Simon. This is the way of the kingdom. This is, this is not the way of the world. This is the, the kingdom that I've come to inaugurate. It's a kingdom of humility. It's a kingdom of foot washing. He then turns to his disciples and says to them, but I want you to do the same for each other. That which I've modeled for you, I want you to do the same for each other. And then he gives them this remarkable command in John chapter 13. Again, just picture this. It's an, it's an intimate moment. This is towards the end of his life. He gets an opportunity with his disciples once more. And he says this, John chapter 13, 34. He says, a new commandment I give to you. Love one another just as I have loved you. He said, by doing so, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. You see, friends, right from the start of this movement, embedded and practiced by Jesus himself, commanded by Jesus himself, was this thing, this command to love one another. Not just in a superficial way, but in a deep way, in a meaningful way, a, a, a way that, that calls for humble submission to one another. It's at the heart of the movement. It's hot at the heart of our faith. This morning, we're looking at the theme of loving one another. This is Camp Home um, or Camp Hope, Camp Home weekend. And uh, the previous weeks, we had a look at, at uh, what it means to love God with all of our hearts and all of our minds. And this week, we're looking at what it means, what it means when Jesus says, I want you to love one another, what that particular statement means for us at Southside. You can turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. And we're going to read from verse 1 to 11. I would encourage you to look at it in your own Bible as well, if you can. But maybe while you're turning there, I'll give you a moment. In week 1 of this series, we saw that as spirit-filled believers, people who, who walk with the Spirit, um, are moved by the Spirit, inspired by the Spirit, that out of that walk with God, there comes this expression of worship towards God. And one part of this worship, one aspect or one expression of this worship, isn't this mutual submission to one another. Now, in Paul's text this morning, he says a similar thing. He basically is speaking about if we are truly Christian, if we are, if we are part of this this foot washing Christ's movement, then we too need to be in humble submission to one another. Let's pick it up. Philippians chapter 2. I'm going to read from verse 1 to verse 11. Paul says this, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, 
if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of mind, of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but to each of but um, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. And being found in, in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. And so Paul says a similar thing to what we've discussed in, in week one. He uses this if-then language. He's saying that if we are Christians, if we walk with him, look at verse one. He says, if you've got encouragement of being, from being united with Christ, if there's this common sharing in the spirit, then there needs, something needs to happen. It needs to impact the way that you relate to others, especially other members of this community. He's saying there's no way that you can say you are, you are walking with Christ and yet you have no concern about those around you. Listen to what the message translation says of verse 1. It just puts it so brilliantly, just a normal, simple language, which I need. It says this, if you've gotten anything at all out of following Christ, if his love has made any difference in your life, if being in a community of the Spirit means anything to you, if you have a heart, if you care, then do me this favor. Be united with your brothers and sisters. You see what he's saying? To make it a little bit more simple for my, in Devon language, he's saying if you're walking with Christ, if you're communing with Jesus, if, you, if you've got a fellowship with the Spirit, then you must show this. You have to show it. You have to live in it because it's the way of the Messiah. It's the way of Christ. He's a foot-washing Messiah. Show this by maintaining the unity. Friends, when it comes to unity, there's so much we can learn from this church at Philippi. I look, just this week, just in studying this passage, there's so many similarities between what we found in Philippi, the context in which Paul was writing, and our context in Vancouver, and in particular the church that we're part of, Southside Community Church. You see, in Philippi was a cosmopolitan city, which means they were extremely diverse. As a matter of fact, uh, Acts chapter 16 just gives us some, almost a window into the context of that particular church. And we see from that passage that, that they had Lydia, which was a Jewish, she was a Jewish convert, quite a wealthy woman. Then there was the slave girl who, who got delivered. She was uh, from Grecian descent, a Greek native. Then you had the jailer. You'll remember the story about the jailer. You had the jailer. He was a Roman. A jailer was a Roman, so he served his colony. All of these people formed this community of Christ followers in Philippi. And so unity was something that Paul needed to speak into, right? So whenever there is diversity, which we celebrate, we need to remember 
that diversity, people, different backgrounds, different cultural, economical, social, um, just, you know, backgrounds, it threatens unity. And so we have to be careful. And so an interesting thing about the church at Philippi is, is there weren't any unity issues. Chapter one, Paul's, Paul writes this. He says, I, I pray that, that your love for one another would, um, would expand more and more. In other words, they, they have this love. They have this unity in this diverse church, which is beautiful, which can be celebrated. Nevertheless, it's almost like he reminds them, you know, there's no issue like in, in 1 Corinthians that he needs to speak into, but it's rather you are, you are doing so well. You are diverse, but you are doing so, so well. There, there's unity. There's like-mindedness, but it's almost like Paul is saying, but keep working at it. Keep work, don't, put your, don't ever take your foot off the pedal. Because where there's diversity, there's opportunity for this unity to come into. That's the context in which he speaks. And therefore, it's so relevant for us today. It's almost like Paul is speaking to us this morning and saying, Southside, you have a diverse church, which is beautiful. It's such a, such a wonderful representation of what kingdom is supposed to be like and, it, what, and what it will be like for all of eternity. And there's wonderful unity within your church. But do not take your foot off the pedal. If you want Camp Home or Camp Hope, hopefully next year, to be even better than this year and the church to be even healthier and stronger and closer, then don't take your foot off the pedal. The way that Paul speaks about unity in this passage, he uses the word like-minded, like-minded. And what the word means, it's, it's more than intellectual unity. Paul uses this word about 10 times throughout Philippians. And, and from the context and from the way that he uses it, we, we see that what he means is, is more than intellectual. He's speaking about the will. He's speaking about, he's speaking about the heart. He's speaking about the, the affections. He's speaking about emotions. So he's talking about the values. He's saying everything that you are as a people, be unified. Not only in your thinking, just who you are as a people, be unified. Inti Wright the British uh, theologian, he said this, he tells a little bit of a joke, which is, which might shock some of you. Theologians can also tell a joke, but he says this, he says, there's an old Jewish joke that if you've got three, two, uh, sorry, I butchered that. If you've got two rabbis, you've got three opinions. If you've got two rabbis, you've got three opinions. And it says often this is the case in the church as well. You see, it's, it's, it's not only that there's big theological differences, or smoldering resentments from historical events long ago, or racial variations, in or radical variations in style of worship. There's also personality cults. There's clashes over leadership style. There's arguments on issues of moral behavior and cultural politics and so on and so forth. And so we have to ask the question, how is it possible for people to be united in the way that Paul seems to speak here? And that's the question we're dealing with this morning. We're saying we are doing a good job, but how can we keep our eye on it? How can we keep our foot on the pedal? And so I want to give you three points this morning from this text in particular of how Paul seems to encourage us. First one is this. This is the way that we are going to promote and keep unity in Southside is firstly, have the same outlook. Have the same outlook. He says in verse two, he says, have the same love. Be one in spirit and one in mind. One of the translations speaks about purpose. In other words, one in love, one in spirit, and one in 
purpose. All of this, friends, means the same thing. It means that you are going in the same direction. It means that you are, you are on the same page. You are, you've got the same outlook. Paul uses a technique called the, just the Roman repetition. And what that means is you, you, repeat, you repeat something three times, a similar thing, or just, you know, perhaps uh, slightly nuanced in certain ways. But you say a similar thing three times just to emphasize a point. And that's what he's doing here. He's saying, he's saying be the same love, one in spirit, one in purpose. Basically, say have the same outlook. Be on the same page. Walk in the same direction. You see, yeah, at Southside, we, there's no way we can maintain unity of fellowship. There's no way we can be a witness to this world in terms of how we love one another if we don't walk in the same direction. The scripture tells us, you know, it says no two people can walk, can walk together if they're not going the same way, if they're not going to the same place. And so he would encourage us this morning, have the same direction, have the same vision. Do you, do you know what Southside's vision is? I mean, Cam mentioned it earlier, Southside looks a little bit different to other churches. We do things a little bit different. It's moving, and, and, and Southside is moving, and the leadership of this church does a tremendous job, and the eldership does a tremendous job. It is steering the church in a direction. It is not stagnant. It's moving. But because it's moving, we have to get on board. We have to be the winds in the sails of our leaders at Southside Church. We have to have the same outlook, friends. Get in behind them. And there's so much on the horizon, so much coming up in the near future. You think about Imagine Edmonds. You think about, you know, just different possibilities with other churches, partnerships with churches going forward. There's different things in the pipeline, but we need to be on the same page. Secondly, Paul says another way to maintain unity in your church is, is through humility. Through humility. He says the same thing two ways. Look at verse 3 and verse 4 in your Bibles. He says, he says it in a negative, and then he says it in a positive, all meaning the same thing. Firstly, verse 3 says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. He would tell us this morning as Southside, if you want to maintain the unity amidst your beautiful diversity, then don't live for yourself. Don't live just for your selfish ambitions or or become conceited, try and be better than everyone else. No, don't live that way. Don't live into this, this, this lie of, of, of you know, just having a prestigious life in terms of the context and living into a lifestyle of just selfishness and prejudice and jealousy. No, no, no. He says, I said, rather than doing that in humility, value others above yourselves. That word humility is quite an interesting one. Back in the day, as Paul was writing this, this word had a very negative connotation. To say that someone had humility, it wasn't a good thing. It was a vice rather than a virtue. You see, uh, humility was the mindset of a slave, they were saying in that context. If you had humility, you had the mindset of a slave. No, no, you had to be proud and honorable. Nothing, nothing about this humility nonsense. But yet this is the way of the foot-washing Messiah. That's what Paul reminds them of. You see, Gordon V, a Pentecostal theologian, very, very good writer, he says, humility is a unique Christian virtue. This was something unheard of in the day. Before Jesus came, no one pursued humility. No, they, they pursued pristine, uh, pristine rather than humility. It's a unique Christian virtue. 
but we need to understand exactly what it is. You see, humility is not a false modesty. You know, we get this so often. People, you know, they, the way they see themselves um, isn't very good. It isn't very strong. They don't have much self-confidence. And then you say, oh, that's such a humble person. Uh, no, it's not. Um, that's not what humility means. Humility means to have a proper estimation of oneself. Do not think too much, nor too little, but to know who you are in God. This is what humility means. It means having true perspective of ourselves. And once we have that, we can then stop focusing ourselves on ourselves and start focusing on those around us. Rosa said it so well. I almost wanted Rosa to just repeat the, what she said um, in the clip beforehand so that it could sum up my point. She said this, she, she wanted us to pray first so that she wouldn't live into a self-centered type of worldview. You see the link there? A self-centered type of, of worldview. She said she wants to find her value and worth in God. And that's what humility is, friends. As we find our identity in God, we, we, we know that we are, in his, we are made in his image. We belong to him. We are part of his family. We are part of his royal priesthood. Once we have that, we understand that. We have a right... Um, uh, valuation of ourselves, we can then take our eyes off ourselves and place it on the others. So when Paul says, yeah, be in humility, value others about, above yourselves, inadvertently is saying, let's just solve the issue of identity, friends. Solve the issue of identity, because if you don't, it's going to hurt the unity going forward. But if you do, it's going to help you to focus on the other. Lastly, he says this, the, the way that we're going to protect unity in Southside Church is through consideration of each other. Verse 4, he says, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the other. Paul does, which he does so often. He, we almost find this tension between the individual and community in the writings of Paul. He does it so often, but mostly, in most cases, Paul speaks about community. His focus is on community. Yes, God works through the individual, but collectively God fulfills his purposes through community, through us walking together. As someone once said that love begins when someone else's needs are more important than my own. This is what Paul calls us to, is to look around us, take our eyes off ourselves in humility, and then look at those around us in our community next to us and have consideration for their interests and for their needs and to serve them in such a way. And so this morning, friends, if we say, okay, how can we love each other in such a way that the church will be stronger a year from now if we go to Camp Hope? Or how can we love each other in such a way that, that we will be a testimony to the world of what it looks like to be a Christian? Then we have to protect the unity in the church. We have to protect the unity of our fellowship. And the way that we're going to do this, Paul's reminding us this morning, is having the same outlook, being on the same page. Having a posture of humility, this foot-washing posture. Remember that Jesus we are following, he is the crucified Messiah. He is the foot-washing Christ, and he calls us into his kingdom. And then lastly, he says, but also consider, in humility, consider those around you, the needs of those around you, and serve them. Lastly, in closing this morning, Paul does a fascinating thing, and I think this might be part of a hymn of the early church, but listen to verse five. It's almost like he's saying, Southside, I've given you the three points. This is how you're going to keep your foot on the pedal going forward. He says, but if you forget these three points, which we do, you might forget them even by lunchtime. I pray we don't. But if it happens, remember this one thing, verse five. 
in your, this sums everything up. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. He's saying, even if you forget these points, the way you're going to protect your unity is, is follow Jesus, imitate Jesus, become like him. You think about Jesus for just one moment, friends. He didn't just command his disciples to live in such a way, but he, he practiced it. He modeled it. Think about this, the eternal pre-existent son of God, laying all of that down, coming to earth, humbling himself. And then the way that he conducts himself on earth is one that just shouts humility. He then goes to, to the cross to suffer and die a humiliating death. He does all of that for the other, for you and for me. But how different it could have been. You know, he could have left a different life. He could have gone a different direction. He could have, he could have taken the, the position that they wanted for the Messiah. He could have been a person of prominence and power and popularity. But he laid all of those things down. Inti right again, just studying some of his stuff. He, he said this, he said, when Jesus in the, in the wilderness, when Jesus had the temptation after his baptism, um, his greatest temptation at that stage was, was around the vocation, the type of Messiah that he needed to be for the people of Israel, for the world. You see, the temptation was always there to take a prominence, take a power, to take a position rather than being a servant, foot-washing Messiah, which is the way in which he walked. And so, friends, be encouraged by that this morning. We are to imitate Jesus in this way and to walk like him in such a way. And so let's not take our foot off the pedal. Amen.